Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's begin by with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us here this morning. And uh, Lord, we're all focused around you now as we look forward to learning from your word Open our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 29, and to the cheers of Irene, (laughs) we've come to a new chapter. Anyway, uh, Genesis 29, then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east, and he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He's well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it's yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while they yet spake with them, Rachel came with their father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his, her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father. All right, now, here we come to this chapter, but not really, because before we leave chapter 28, <laughs> we want to make sure that we've really gotten the take-home messages from chapter 28. And because really, as we come to chapter 29, it's, it's a new section. You can look at chapter 29 like it's a new section in Jacob's life. But really, this section in Jacob's life began in chapter 28 in that dream that he had in verses 12 and 15 of chapter 28 where, it's, where it says, you remember, he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold the angels of God ascending, descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it to thy seed. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, the east, north, south, and in thee shall in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Then he went on with this promise, and he said, Behold, I'm with thee, and will keep thee in all places where thou goest, and will bring thee again to this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. See, that marked a new section in Jacob's life. Because 
of a word, very important word in that section, in verse 13, and it's the word said. The Lord said. See, that was the first time in Jacob's life that Jacob heard God speak to him. Jacob had grown up in Isaac's house with Abraham as his grandfather, and he knew that God had spoken to his grandfather Abraham, and he knew that God had spoken to his father Isaac. But what we understand from verse 13 is that this is when Jacob heard God speak. Or to put it another way, God made Jacob to hear his voice in that dream. That was remarkable how God made Jacob to hear his voice. And we saw that. He was in the middle of a forsaken desert. He was on the run for his life. It was probably his first night out. If it was first night out, he'd, he'd walk 50 miles in one day. That's quite a clip. And he's all alone, and he's fallen asleep, and God makes Jacob hear his voice. See, that's the section, the new section of Jacob's life. Life would never be the same again for Jacob after Jacob heard God's voice. A person can be saved from their sins, and then there's that time, that special time, when the person knows God has just spoken to me personally, and I know it. Usually not in an audible voice, usually not in a dream like this, But God makes a person hear him, just like he made Jacob hear him. Or maybe by reading the Bible or listening to preaching, or God makes a person hear his voice. And after that, the person is never the same. And that's what happened in Jacob's life. He's never the same after that. In a dream is how God made Jacob hear his voice. God has many ways to make a person hear him. And that leads to the next question. And the question is, What was the reason that God made Jacob hear his voice? See, was it just to impress Jacob with the awesomeness of God? Or was it to make Jacob able to walk around and and tell others, well, I heard the voice of God? Hmm? Or what purpose did God have when he made Jacob hear his voice? That's the question. Which leads us to the question for us, what purpose does God have when he makes us to hear him? And the answer to this question, Moses gave the answer to the question when he spoke to the Jewish people. If you turn to that, please, in Deuteronomy 4.36, Deuteronomy, fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy 4.36, because there, Moses is answering the question to the Jewish people of why God. See, notice what it says there in Deuteronomy 4.36. He says, out of heaven, he made thee to hear his voice that he might instruct thee. So you look at this passage we're studying in Genesis 28, and isn't this verse, Deuteronomy 4.36, a description of what happened to Jacob? When Jacob fell asleep that night, we see that out of heaven, God made Jacob to hear his voice. And now from Deuteronomy 4.36, what's the reason that God made the Jewish people to hear his voice? What is it? That's it, that he might instruct them that he might instruct. That's the reason God made out of heaven, made the Jewish people, made Jacob, made us to hear his voice, that he might instruct. That's what happened in Genesis 28, that he might instruct Jacob. That's the reason why God out of heaven made him to hear his voice, so he can instruct him. That's an interesting Hebrew word in Deuteronomy 4.36, the word instruct. And the word instruct there is the word yasar, Yes, sir. It literally means to strike with blows. (laughs) So the underlying meaning of this is correction or chastisement. 
in the sense a person is going the wrong way, and then God makes that person here out of heaven to straighten them out, to chastise them, to correct them. To... See, yasar is at the heart of what Paul says the Bible is profitable for. The Bible is profitable for yasar, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. That shows us what is right. For reproof, that shows us what's not right. For correction, that shows us how to get right. And for instruction righteousness, that shows us how to stay right. See, when God speaks, the Bible speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And God speaks to show us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. And that's what God is doing here as he's speaking to Jacob. God's seeing Jacob, you're going on a wrong way here. And he comes to out of heaven, he makes him hear his voice to correct him, to instruct him. And we saw in that passage that Jacob saw a ladder. And it says that in verse 12, Genesis 28, he dreamed and behold the ladder set up on the earth, top of reach to heaven. See, the latter represented an opportunity for a man to have access with God. And what Jacob saw there is very important words when it says, behold the latter, because after it, I didn't have to add this description, but it puts in these five words. It says, after the latter, and what are the five words? In Genesis 28, 12, behold a ladder, say it, set up on the earth set up on the earth. It doesn't say just a ladder. It doesn't say that there was a ladder set up over Jacob. It doesn't say there was a ladder set up from Jacob to heaven. But it says there was a ladder set up on the earth. And if it had said that there was a ladder set up over Jacob or over Jacob reached the top to heaven, that it would indicate that the ladder was only for Jacob. But because it says it was a ladder set up on the earth, it means that this ladder was for everyone on the earth, for the benefit of everyone on the earth. There's an opportunity to have access to God. And so when it says that there was the ladder set up on the earth, that shows that God wants everyone on the earth to have this opportunity to have access to him and to heaven. That's a great blessing. See, for a person to have access to God in heaven, that's a great blessing. What further indication is there in verse 14? that shows that God is interested in every person on earth to bless them. Why? What does it say? Genesis 28, 14. Further indication that God is interested in every person on the earth to bless them. Yeah, that's it. The last one, it says, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families of the earth be blessed. God wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. See, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not slack concerning his promise. Some men can count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have, God will have all men to be saved, all the families of the earth. So when God says in verse 14 that he wants, as it says there, all the families of the earth to be blessed, God wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. And the greatest blessing that a family can have is to have access to God in heaven by being saved from their sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants all the families of the earth to be blessed with salvation. He has not blocked 
any family on the earth by, by giving some, some kind of irresistible grace to some and not to others to be saved. He wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. So, you know, when the Jews arrived at the concentration camps during the Nazi Holocaust time, there were two lines. And the Jews started off, and one line just became the left line, and, one line, and then there was a line, the right line. See? And the right line was the line to live. And the left line meant that they were going to die within two hours in the gas chambers. And there was a Nazi Gestapo, and he sat there, and he made the choice for every Jew whether he was going to go to the right line to live or whether he was going to go to the left line to die. No Jew could make that choice for himself, which line he was going to go into. That choice was made by the Nazi Gestapo, and each Jew had to go into, had no choice, had to go into the line that the, that the Gestapo chose for that person. The Gestapo was ultimately responsible whether a Jew went into the right line to live or when he went into the left line to die. God is not like the Nazi Gestapo. He's not saying to this person, I choose you to live, you go to the right line to heaven, and I don't choose you, so you go into the left line to die in hell. See, God has chosen for everyone, life, to be saved, but not everyone has chosen God. And only those who choose God go to heaven. See, God did not say that this letter, that he wanted to bless just the families I choose to be blessed. But God said in verse 14, all the families of the earth be blessed. God chooses everyone to be saved, but not everyone chooses God, and so everyone is not saved. So when we read in verse 12 that the ladder was set up on earth and not over Jacob, and that God set all the families of the earth to be blessed, that's the message, that's a take-home message for us. Carry the gospel to everyone. So everyone can be saved because God is concerned for all men to be saved. And then we see in verse 13 of chapter 28 that we're told, you see verse 13, chapter 28, we're told where God was. Where was God when we were in this scene? He's above the ladder, standing up there above the ladder, standing above the ladder. So when we see God standing above the ladder, it has two messages to us. First, we, as we see God standing above the ladder, God is standing as if to, he's standing as if he's like ready to come down the ladder, which is what he did. And he said he did that in John 3.13. And then we used to be in the John 3.13, just before, you know, it's three verses before John 3.16. It's kind of important. <laughs> so it says here, he said, no man ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. See, in John 3.13, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to Nicodemus, a teacher, a, a teacher of the book of Genesis. And when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to these words of Nicodemus in John 3.13, and he starts talking about ascending up to heaven and that the Son of Man came down to heaven, and Nicodemus understood exactly. He's talking about Jacob's ladder here because the Lord was standing at the top of the ladder and no man was going up that ladder. And so Nicodemus knew that the Lord Jesus was speaking about the ladder that we're studying here in Genesis 28. And the Lord said he was the one who came down the ladder. And so when the Lord was standing at the top of the ladder, he's standing to indicate he's getting ready to come down the ladder to earth. But the other message that we get from the fact that he's standing up there at the top of the ladder is a message of concern. When a person gets up from sitting 
That's a message that he's concerned. As you know, we went through the patent court, been to too many courts, I don't like courts, but anyways, you got to sit there, and as long as the judge is sitting down, you're always looking at the judge and see his look. If he ever gets up, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Well, he's gotten up. God has gotten up here. Why? God standing at the top of the ladder shows how interested and concerned God is that man has access to God in heaven. See, for man to have access to God, for man to be saved from his sins and to go to heaven, it's not a sit-down interest with God. It's a stand-up concern with God. Then we saw how Jacob, in the end of the chapter 28, he vows a vow. It says in 28:20, Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me, will keep me in the way that I go, give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, so I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And the stone which I have set for pillars should be God's house. Of all that it should give me, I'll surely give a tenth unto thee. So verse 20 begins with a vow that Jacob made with God. Jacob vowed a vow. All right? And at this point, Jacob's a pretty good negotiator. At least he thinks so. <laughs> I mean, Jacob always seems to be coming out ahead on the deals he makes. I mean, he looks back at Esau and he said, that, I made a good deal. <laughs> He says, I I got the birthright. So he's feeling like he's a pretty good wheeler and dealer. And now Jacob says, well, I'm pretty good. I'll try my hand with God as a wheeler dealer. So in verse 20, when it says Jacob vowed a vow, we see Jacob making a deal with God. And the first thing we see Jacob doing in this deal with God is that, first of all, it's Jacob that jumps in aggressively with his proposal, his deal. See, Jacob doesn't, see, that's kind of like a rule <laughs> for making a good deal. You know, don't wait for the other person to, to put something on the table. You put it on the table. So Jacob immediately doesn't wait for God to, for his move, but he makes his move first, and he lays his terms on the table. That's Jacob's deal. And he's made this deal with God in verses 20 and 23. So let's have a close look at the deal that Jacob made with God. This deal that Jacob made with God in verse 20 was at Bethel. We know that. And we can say that Jacob was saved at Bethel. And so this is really a deal between Jacob as a saved man and God. And in Jacob's deal in verse 20, Jacob makes three invitations. Okay, so this is the Jeopardy question. (laughs) Three invitations. And what are the three invitations that Jacob cautiously extended to the Lord? What's the first invitation? God would be with him. So Jacob invited God to be his companion. Okay, be with me, all right? Second invitation, keep me. So Jacob invited God to be his, yeah, protector, keeper, protector, all right? And then the third invitation was, that's right, feed me, (laughs) give me bread. And some of us would have put that at the top of the list, but anyway. So that was Jacob inviting God to be his provider. So Jacob invited God to be his companion, his protector, his provider, which God had already promised he would be in verse 15. But in verse 20, Jacob said, he liked this idea. I like the idea of you, God, being my companion, my provider, my, my protector, my provider. He says, that sounds pretty good. Sounded good to Jacob. I mean, who wouldn't want God to be their companion and their protector and provider? So in verse 20, Jacob said to God, go ahead. I want you to be my companion, protector, and provider. Sounds good to me. Be it. But there at Bethel, what did Jacob, in verse 21, what did Jacob not allow God to be in verse 21 at this time? His God. His God. See, Jacob did not allow the Lord to be his God. 
So Jacob was saying to God, I invite you to be my companion and my protector and my provider, but I do not invite you to be my God. But Jacob didn't rule out the possibility that the Lord might be his God in the future. And what one word in verse 21 shows us that Jacob might invite God, the Lord, to be his God in the future. Then, it's then. See, the word then, that's a tragic word. It's really a bad word. (laughs) I mean, here, it's really bad. It's tragic because this is a word that can result in a wasted life. See, the devil loves this word then because the Lord wanted to use Jacob's life then as a result of Jacob allowing the Lord to be his God. But as long as Jacob put off making the Lord his God, then Jacob's life would be wasted in terms of usefulness for God. And what we're seeing here is too often, so often the case when a person is just like Jacob and he comes to Bethel's salvation experience, but like Jacob, he says, I invite you, God, to be my companion, my protector, my provider. Yes, save me from my sins and make sure I don't go to hell and I go to heaven. Oh, I, I could use all that kind of help from God. That sounds really good. But let's make one thing clear here. I am not inviting you, the Lord, to be my God. I want to direct my life. I want to make my own decisions. All I need from God is his help to assist me in my choices for direction of my life, for my decisions. So God, as long as you stay on your side and don't cross over to my side of trying to take over my life, we're going to have a great relationship. But God, if you get aggressive and start to try to run my life, we're not going to have a good relationship. You know, I have a friend. My friend really doesn't have any use for God, and he's also never been married. And I asked him one time, my friend, I said, why did you never get married? And he said, because I don't want a wife telling me what to do. I said, oh, they don't do that. (laughs) You know, that's what he said. I don't want a wife telling me what to do. And I couldn't help but think to myself, that's really the answer of why he's never received Christ as a Savior also. Because I can imagine him saying, because I don't want a God telling me what to do. And so when Jacob, in verse 21, said that he was not at that time inviting the Lord to be his God, Jacob was really saying, I want you to keep me company, I want you to protect me, I want you to provide for me, but I don't want you telling me what to do. And so that is sadly how chapter 28 ends with Jacob saying, not now, Lord, just not now for you to be my God. Sometime later, I promise you, Lord, I will take some time to evaluate your performance as a companion and a protector and a provider. And if I find you past the test, then I promise you I'll allow you to be my God. But not until then. And in the meantime, Lord, can you just please do a good job of being with me, protecting me, and providing me? That'll be fine. See, Jacob's life could have been so much better, could have been so much more useful if in verse 20... He didn't say that tragic word, if. And in verse 21, he didn't say that tragic word, then. If only Jacob would have substituted since for the word if, and if he would have substituted now for the word then, his whole life would have been different, would have been so much better if his vow was sounded like this in verse 21, 20 and 21. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, since God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Now shall the Lord be my God. And all the years, the years that wouldn't have been wasted for Jacob if he'd done that and all the happiness and the peace that he wouldn't have forfeited if Jacob would have only believed God and not put God on the test and not said the if and the then but would have said the since and the now. 
And that's where Deuteronomy 4.36 comes into play for us. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com. 